Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. Uh, today, we have Navina Prijek on from Los Angeles. She's uh, waking up at 8 a.m. and talking to us here about her painting, her upcoming show at Maddox Gallery Los Angeles, a show curated by Josh McDonald, and uh, what inspires her to make the work she does. I hope you enjoy the interview. Navina, how are you? Good, just waking up, I guess. <laughs> Tell us about what you do and the moment you think of as your starting point as an artist. So I guess I would say I'm a painter. And um, I have my first drawing when I was two years old. Uh, there was an apple. And I know that because my parents kept all my drawings, my artwork since then. So they kind of figured my interest in it was pretty strong. And um, they kind of supported me really in trying to pursue it. Although I didn't really know, of course, at first, like I'm really gonna be an artist. I was just doing it all the time. But it was really artistic environment where I grew up because my dad also used to make printmaking and etchings. My mom would play a piano. So I also grew up playing a piano. So it was this whole kind of like artistic environment surrounded with art books and paintings on the walls. Maybe when I was actually in a high school, finishing up my piano education, I realized I actually want to be a painter. So I want to like seriously do it as a profession. And um, then I just went with it. My parents were a little bit afraid <laughs> what the future holds, but you know, I'm doing it right now. So I guess it's good. Where were you born? Where, where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Serbia and Belgrade. 35 years ago and um, I lived there only until like five years ago actually I moved to the states so I live here in Los Angeles now and your parents were both artists or just your just your father well my father uh, he's not a he was like an amateur I would say artist but kind of the problem with his parents who were really afraid you know in Serbia at that time they didn't really let him be an artist. So he went to be a scientist, but uh, he was just doing it really seriously. So, you know, buying all the books about it, he made his printmaking machines and really studying technology and so on, you know, maybe even more than some professional artists. So, so I kind of, in a way, I had my tutor and someone who can understand that and maybe pick up from him. And then my mom, she was... Uh, she was play, singing in the choir, playing a piano, um, but also as like her job would be working in a kindergarten. So none of them really like pursue it, I don't know, super seriously having big careers out of it, but it was just that a good environment for me, I think. I was hoping you'd say some of what you said, because I think sometimes you need to be in a city where there is um, a world of art, where there is an artistic community, where you where it's not, where there's the business of art and the art market, as well as artists. And Los Angeles mm. is a great city for artists and for business. It's not as it's mm. not as hard as London is. It's not as hard as New York is. I think mm. that's part of the reason there's a vibrant community of young painters, uh, certainly in mm. this particular show, but in Los Angeles, it's it's got enough business and enough community to it for, for it to have interesting ideas. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I feel I feel really great living here. And I just uh, it, Los Angeles, I feel like it gives you a certain kind of freedom. Might be also because of the geography and open space and good weather all year round. You just kind of feel like everything is possible. And there's also uh, the scenes are not so separated, I would say, like this gallery just showing uh, painters or this certain kind. It's like everything is mixed. Um, people are really creative. And also, as you said, maybe it's not that harsh as it would be on the East Coast. Um, I used to live in New York for like a year and a half before coming here to Los Angeles. And I, I feel like I faster got into the scene and met people here in Los Angeles. It's somehow something about it seems easier. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you said that. And I think it shows in the curation for the dysmorphia show that you're mm -hmm. part of. Uh, you can see there's something bubbling up, either mm -hmm. from COVID or from what's going on in the art community there. A lot of it is affected by technology and, and psychology and how technology is affecting the human body, whether we're hybrids or cyborgs mm -hmm. or what's the future holds for humanity. And mm -hmm. I think at the, at the end of this, then you wonder, when I look at your work, are you, are you painting figurative painting? Do we still call you a figurative painter? Does it even matter? Right. It probably doesn't even matter. I was thinking about that because uh, I was always painting figures and bodies like since I can remember really just using my body as a model, right? My face, my hands or drawing people around me. And like being in Serbia, I was just into Leonardo da Vinci, you know, like old masters. It's <laughs> like, not a bad then, basis for things. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I did, but at that point, I didn't really know that much about modern art. And uh, then I was really into Lucian Freud, uh, looking at these paintings, the colors of the flesh and the form of it. And now I guess my work is evolving into something that might even be abstract. You know, I just like, I'm still thinking about the figure and the bodies, but it's it's kind of evolving into something totally new. And I'm really interested in those things that you said about the evolution of humans and, you know, the, the intelligence of it. Are we going to become more artificial intelligence? And all those things are really interesting to me. So it's kind of like this, like, hybrid between uh, the organic and inorganic matter. The underlying meditation that happens when with painting is about the human condition, and that's where the body comes into it, I think. So so I liked your answer because you don't really know if it's still a figure because of almost mm. what's happening with with bodies at the moment. How did your practice evolve? I know how you grew up, but how did this particular practice and this idea to be an artist only come mm -hmm. about? Where did you get the idea from? Uh, well, I guess I would see a book of Leonardo da Vinci and he was an artist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I met some friends who went to the design school, art and design school, and uh, while I was in a music school. Uh, and they all looked to me so creative and inspiring. And I felt like I want to go to that school. I want to be like them. You know, I kind of felt like out of place in the classical music school. 
And it just kind of started with that. And then we did have like a few colleges in Belgrade. Uh, and so, you know, that was an idea. I can do that. And I wasn't thinking on that time, am I going to sell it or how successful am I going to be at it? I just kind of felt I was 14, 15 years old. I just felt like I want to go to that school. You know, I want to do what they're doing. Since even though I was doing it before that, but then I realized, oh, there's actually school for it. So that's something that looks like a career, you know, and there was no other option for me. I really didn't want to. I actually pass, uh, didn't pass the test few three times. Um, I enrolled to college from the third time, third year. So for three years, I've been just kind of trying, you know, trying to get in. Right. And, and then you learn that failure is just the result of trying things that might be at the moment out of your reach and and, and right. part of success particularly as an artist is getting getting good with failures of sorts because you have to risk you have to put yourself out there you have to push boundaries right. you have to try things they're not all going to work but if you get hung up on the idea of always having to win or succeed mm -hmm. The exploration, the fun, the creativity, it dries up. So it's almost a great way to start your career. Yeah, exactly. Like you realize then eventually they just keep piling up all those failures. <laughs> you know, I didn't get this award. I didn't get into this show. And then eventually, you know, it doesn't really matter. You lose some stuff, you get another one. So it's at the end of the day, it's just about work. And it's going to get there, you know. I feel like it's you never really reach that goal uh, with, you know, making the great artwork, piece of work. It's just like the whole point is just like you think you're so close, you're getting there, but you never get there till the rest of your life. Mm. So yeah, that's what makes it exciting. And there's no satisfaction. No complete <laughs> satisfaction. <laughs> I get the feeling that you're quite intuitive in your approach to things. Do you work on one piece at a time or do you work on several all at once? Yeah, I focus on one, but the, the process is intuitive. Um, and then it, that's why it's kind of evolving now more and more into that. Uh, maybe some, some kind of like abstract figurative painting, would say something in between, because I, I like to now be less uh, reliant on the references, like photos that I take. So it's not so representational. I like to be more intuitive while I'm working. So I don't really know where it's going to be the next line, the next brushstroke. That's that's quite exciting. Now, I'm moving on to the next question because I could spend forever talking about <laughs> the last subject and, and miss the rest of this interview as we, as we <laughs> agreed. Uh, you mentioned Leonardo da Vinci. So aside from da Vinci, which artist is the first artist you loved and why? So I really love this artist. It's a Czech artist, Jerzy Underle. And I actually, for the first time, saw his work in this book, his monograph book um, that my mom gave to my dad as a present. And that was before I was born. And I love that book and I still have it. I still have it here with me. They're really great drawings and mostly with pen and ink. He did a lot of printmaking. And there's also that combination of like realistic portraits in it. And then he would just kind of try to totally like destroy it with lines, like crazy, crazy lines. And, you know, the 
the expression of the faces are, are so good and the bodies again and kind of like the anatomy i guess what i found really interesting in it and there's some kind of darkness in it too like representations of war trauma different kind of human conditions but really it taught me a lot about drawing what cultural experience changed how you see the world i feel like i would say traveling like every time i travel and see something new it would change me um and um you know we've been we've not been really able to travel that much uh you know growing up in serbia and then during the war after the war we had the limits on you know leaving the country or staying out of the country so once i started traveling and being able to do it i feel like every time would be such a great experience you know seeing just being exposed to different cultures and customs changes your way of thinking there's there's something about challenging yourself uh, with other cultures ideas that really gives you inner strength and there's mm-hmm. there's this idea that if you stay with the friends you grew up with your whole life you kind of go a bit stale you're not open-minded yes. to new ideas and and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations like like Los Angeles from Serbia or mm-hmm. any kind of new culture really challenges you to fi- figure out your principles and, and what we have in common just as people existing on the planet. Exactly, I've, yes. Yeah. And your work seems to be dealing with that too. There seems to be a loneliness even when there's more than one figure in the canvas. Yeah, I think those, if you're referring to those paintings that are uh, going to be at the Matters Gallery in the show, those were made at the um, start of the pandemic. So there was kind of this situation of the person being in an enclosed space, almost as uh, being one with uh, the environment, with the architecture of it, with the interior, like the body is, and with the chair and that room, an enclosed space and all the different emotional states it is going through. And also kind of like that juxtaposition between the this reality that we know and the virtual reality, you know, us spending time online, more and more people, even like during the pandemic, that kind of became even stronger, the online connections we would make or like live our lives online more than, than in real life. So that certain kind of loneliness you're saying is coming from that that period. Although I didn't uh, go through that pandemic on my own, that was with my husband. But when I'm creating, you know, I'm in that space, and those are the self portraits that I make. If you could own any artwork from any artist, past or present, what would it be and why? So there was this huge show recently of Hilma of Clint yes. and Guggenheim. And not many people really knew about her before that. And then I watched this documentary about her life and work. And it was so great to see incredible woman and how she was ahead of her time and uh, how a lot of artists from that period kind of copied her and nobody really knew that until now. And she's so, so committed to art. She just decided to do that, not even have a family or anything, just, completely committed to it. And I really love the the whole, you know, transcendental energy of those forms. They look so like beyond 
beyond this world. And I think the show was called something like that, Beyond the Visible. And also similar to her is the work of Yayoi Kusama, who has a, also the kind of like childish approach to, to painting and creating some a certain kind of like cosmic world, like cells and stars and uh, just kind of incredible. I mean, it would be nice to have any of those works and look at them for inspiration. It's so crazy that you mentioned them. I, I, the Kusama Infinity Room finally opened here uh, as uh -huh. part of the celebration of the Tate being 20 years old. It was delayed twice because uh -huh. of the pandemic. And I've been going with groups of people, so I visited it, it, mm -hmm. uh, it five, six, seven times. And this yeah. notion of self-obliteration, of just becoming one with the universe is, is mm -hmm. terrifying and powerful at the same time. Mm -hmm. it, it can frighten you and then make you strong s simultaneously. And the association between Kusama and Hilma of Klimt isn't something you'd notice right away. What writers yeah. do you read? What, what, in, what writers sort of direct your thinking? So there's like several of these writers that I'm kind of reading at the same time. I'm really bad at just like focusing on one book and finishing. <laughs> but it's kind of great because they all complement one another. It's kind of good to compare it. And because they're all dealing with the uh, mind and then the consciousness, but in different ways. So there's this one of Max Stegmark that is um, talks about the human evolution, what we mentioned, of the life, uh, the human's uh, life into life 3.0, which is the one kind of in the future when intelligence will become more digital and merge with AI. And then I also, I started meditating in the meantime. So I was reading this book of Locke Kelly, uh, Shift into Freedom, and he's talking about our, this possibility of us thinking of, of awareness, being aware of awareness, like in everything around us. Um, so that's kind of interesting approach to, to think of, about the mind. Uh, then there's this one by Brian Green, and he writes about cosmos and the future of it and then the beginning of time till the end of time. So it's just like the cosmos is so interesting, inspiring to me. Um, I kind of like to think of it the same way as the brain, just this mysterious, um, mysterious thing that we're trying to figure out still. Um, there's this David Eagleman. He writes uh, about neuroplasticity and neuroflexibility and how adaptable our brains are. And then Michael Paul, and I like him because he's all about psychedelics and plants and the way how they can change our minds alter our mind. What's the reason for art? Um, I feel like it's a certain kind of necessity um, to express ourselves. So, and also even for people who are not making art while experiencing, I think I have like a, the profound experience, maybe even more than the artists themselves. You know, they can vicariously live through it and feel those emotions feel enriched by it. Uh, and then for me, I think creating just uh, gives me a certain kind of freedom. Anything else that I do in my life, I feel like if I'm not painting and not creating, I just start feeling nervous, like something is missing, you know. And then when I'm creating, there's uh, this enormous amount of possibility, like there are no rules in it. 
you know you can't make a mistake like this area of life where you're mm-hmm. absolutely free and you know it just makes me addicted to it to to when i finish a painting i have to start a new painting i have to see how that's going to look like and then you know the cycle never ends like you're always searching and creating failing and you know succeeding so it's really exciting way of life for me having that so it's sort of you led yourself into the next question which was about a particular ritual you rely on mm-hmm. to get into the mood for the studio and if you listen to music in the studio uh, I don't really listen to music. I used to listen to music in a studio, and then I realized lately that I just start painting and there's silence. Um, I more have like a morning rituals, and maybe that prepares me for the studio. I will go for a jog for 20 minutes, and um, we have great parks around, and, you know, it's, it's just so great being in the fresh air and walking on the grass barefoot, and I do like 10 meditation um, with this app that I use, uh, Waking Up app by Sam Harris. And then after that, I feel kind of like I'm ready for today. You know, I'm focused and I feel energized. I feel good. And then the painting, yeah, I can just, I can just sit or, you know, stand depending on where I'm at the painting, <laughs> what part of the painting. And uh, that's it, just being, try to be focused as much, which is a little bit harder nowadays with phones and notifications. But um, I'm, I'm trying to be aware of it, you know, not to be like letting my brain go sideways, just try to get like dig deeper into the painting, be really focused and honest with it. Is there anything you want to say about the upcoming show, about art, about your painting process? that I haven't asked you? Well, no, I think it's going to be interesting because um, there's going to be that show, the group show. So I'm going to have two works in that show. In the Dysmorphia that, show, yeah. Yeah, Dysmorphia show. And that's going to be, um, uh, those works are from like uh, most of like the bigger part of the pandemic year, 2020. And then almost the same night or night after, there's going to be my solo show, at this artist run space uh, gallery also, we're gonna be works right after that. So they're kind of like different, oh, they look my completely God. different. So you're going from one opening to the next? <laughs> yes, or it's gonna be the next day. I still, oh, I think it's gonna be the next you day. You do push yourself. <laughs> it now, just happened, you know, the pandemic ended and then all of a sudden it just things are happening at the same time. Yeah, no, the other thing I think is that you might be the only woman on the roster at the Dysmorphia show at Maddox. Oh uh, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I noticed that. Well, I think it's something that's noticeable uh, in a lot of rosters and, and certainly, yeah. So, but congratulations, because it takes Thank a lot you. to break through. I hate, I hate saying that, but it also puts you on a par with Kusama and Hilma Afklin in that mm-hmm. it still is a man's world and it still is hard to get shows in galleries that sell art and people still do have issues around it. I wish they didn't. I wish it was all completely equal, but uh, any thoughts on that or do you even worry about it? I think it's changing now for sure. Um, you know, you can see how no more it's, uh, actually, uh, they they want to show more women or more people of color 
or different minorities and so on. Like it is um, more becoming um, visible and easier for all the artists to get in. I thought like when I was a kid that they're better artists because there's so many men who are <laughs> artists. And then eventually I realized that, you know, women would just kind of like shut down like in the in a background and that's the reason for it. So, but no, it's definitely changing here. And I feel like uh, Los Angeles and New York hopefully are leading the way in it, in diversity in the arts. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's happening. It's happening here too. And it's, it's great that it's happening. Uh, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to thank you for your time. I'm hoping that I can stay in touch with you and talk to you after both of these shows have opened course, and see where it's at and what your thoughts are on everything. And, uh, I just want to thank you for being here today and talking to us about your process and your work and your ideas. Yeah, thank you so much for this interview, all these great questions. It's been really great talking to you. And yeah, hopefully we're going to reconnect after the show. I would like that very much. So let, let's do that. And I'll say goodbye for now. been listening to a private view this is Maeve Doyle if you like the show please subscribe and thank you for listening the music for this podcast was produced by Korshid Homie